We're going to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. How many of you believe he's risen? He is risen. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive. Somebody say alive. alive. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. I love that word. By many infallible proofs. He was seen of them for 40 days and was speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. After his resurrection, they watched him do and teach and show them many. Somebody say that word. That's beautiful. Many infallible proofs, many infallible proofs being seen of them for 40 days. I'm here to tell you this morning, I still believe in the resurrection. I still believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. Amen. We're going to pray today and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts. Could we do that? God, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for every man, woman, and child that have gathered in this house today. Lord, these beautiful people have come here because you have been so good to us. I pray, Lord, that your word that is already anointed would be received into our hearts. Let our spirits be ready to receive of you today, God. Speak to us in this place. Let your voice be heard. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would stand beside me and breathe on me today the breath of your spirit, that we would breathe life into the hearts of these precious people. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. amen. May God bless you and you may be seated. He showed himself alive. Alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Infallible is a word that we're not too familiar with in this day and time we live in right now. There's not very many things around us that are infallible. As a matter of fact, if we're just being honest, and I sure don't want to get started in a derogatory manner, there's not much that's really stable. There's not a lot of stability in this world right now. There's not a lot of stability, not just in the United States, but globally. There's a lot of instability in people's lives. There's wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. What are you saying, Pastor St. Clair? It's in your Bible. The Lord said it was going to come. It's all part of the plan. And the world needs to understand that this instability that we feel and sense, I don't know about you, but I can tell you, that since 2020, in my world, it's felt a lot different. If you travel, I just got home yesterday from Dallas. I was preaching in Dallas this week. And uh, on my way home, I realized again in the airport yesterday, it's just a little different than it was a few years ago. Things are different. Times have changed. But I tell you today, we've moved closer to the coming of the Lord. 
You're looking at a man today who believes that if the Lord said it in his word, he's going to fulfill it. I'm not afraid of what's transpiring in this world. I'm not afraid of what's going on in this world because I believe that God is getting his church ready. I believe that God is preparing his church. Amen. I feel like reminding you the Lord said when he ascended, he said, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back for a church. I don't know if you believe in it or not, but I'm here to convince you today. There is a such thing as a rapture. There is a such thing as a return of Christ for the bride. And if you're not ready today, get ready. You're in the right place at the right time. Amen. Jesus showed himself with infallible proofs. I'm so glad that he didn't just appear to Mary Magdalene in the garden after he resurrected. Because then she would have been the only one with the testimony. I'm glad it wasn't just Peter and John that saw him when they came running into the garden that day. Because then it would have just been those two. And they could have conspired and had a story. But the scripture said that he showed himself to all of them for 40 days. Not just a day, not just a week, but for 40 days. Why did he do that? Because God is a God of order. And he wanted the world to know when he said, if you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, he said in three days, I will raise it up again. He wanted the world to know that what I've said, I will do. What I have spoken, it shall come to pass. I'm here to preach to you on this Easter Sunday. If God said it, He's going to do it. I was recently reading a story of a man who had spent four years in a secular college preparing for his future. And at some point during that transition in life, which is a very impressionable time. uh, I know I have one daughter in college right now and it's just about all I can stand. I, I, was, I was listening to her class the other day. She was on a, a Zoom class, and uh, Lauren's going to school for education to be a teacher. And I listened to the things that the professor was teaching in that class, and I thought, I thought they were teaching education. Like, what, are we, what kind of pressure are we putting on people to have to teach? And, and I'm going to leave that lay where it is. It's frustrating to me, the, the liberties... That people take when, when they're training the next generation of people that are going to teach young people. Listen, I want to tell you today, I can tolerate a lot of things and I can tolerate a lot of people. Matter of fact, tolerance is not a, a big deal for me. I love everybody, but I think everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And I think everybody ought to know there's a way out of your trouble. I think everybody ought to know if you're down and depressed and broken and out and your life is a mess... We have an answer. What, I, what I'm about to say could be misconstrued and people could take it wrong. But listen, we're teaching tolerance. And I believe in tolerance in, 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 in the way that, uh, that the context should be taken. We ought to tolerate people. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you what I don't believe. I don't believe we ought to have to teach people to tolerate things that God wants to set them free from. You don't have to tolerate that in your life. There's freedom in the house of the Lord. The Bible says he that the Son has set free 
is free indeed. I'm here to tell you today, if you're bound by drugs and addiction, if you're here today and you're bound by alcohol, I know the healer today. You don't have to tolerate that. You don't have to live like that. Amen. Now, I'm not doing this to embarrass anybody, but I want everybody to be seated. If you have ever been delivered from the power of addiction in this house, would you stand to your feet? If you were an alcoholic, a drug addict. How do you know God can do it? Look around the room today. There's living, breathing, walking, moving testimonies. And God's not finished yet. God is not finished. So I was reading about this man who had spent four years in secular college. And at some point in that transition, he felt a call on his life for ministry. And upon graduation from that said college, he felt led to attend a religious seminary. Now, stay with me for just a minute. His plan was to serve a local congregation in a local church. He wanted to be a pastor. And uh, he thought after four years of college that surely he would be ready for a few years of, of seminary. And to be quite honest with you, he wasn't ready for what he was about to encounter. Now, under the cloak of, quote, academic freedom, the professors began to teach that the things he had held to be true were false. And that they were nothing more than fabrications. They let him know in this religious seminary. They let him know very quickly. That the virgin birth was biologically impossible. That life and the universe were the result of billions of years of chance and happenings. That Moses did not write the first five books of the Old Testament. Because Moses could not write they said. The New Testament was not written by the author whose name it bears. And Jesus did not really rise from the dead. This was in a religious seminary. He began to describe the day that he sat in class. As the professor approached the doctrine of the resurrection. After his introductory remarks. The, the instructor gazed hard over the students. And he said and I quote to you. You don't really believe in a resuscitated corpse do you? You don't really believe in a resuscitated corpse, do you? It was a rhetorical inquiry that was asked in such a way that anyone who would have answered yes would seem foolish. It was in a condescending manner that anyone who would possibly believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected would have to be foolish. I want to submit to you today that Christians are asked to believe the impossible. And in this day of pragmatism and denial that we live in, that belief system can become more and more difficult. I wish that I could tell you the story that I'm telling you about today just happened in the last year or so in some liberal college. But it actually happened in the 1970s 
many years ago and we wonder what's wrong with our society today. This was a man that in the 1970s went to a college to learn about the truths of God's word only to be told by professors who should know the truth of God's word that those truths were not infallible. I'm here to tell you today that if there's any foundation you can stand on in your life, you can stand on the word of God. I know it's not popular with a lot of people. And I know, I know, I understand the spiritual state of society that we live in right now. I know that there's people who feel like God is within them and they've got their own pathway. I know there's people who feel like they've outwitted all of the ancient scholars and scribes of the word of God. But I feel like telling you in this house today, I know that my redeemer lives. I know that my redeemer is alive. I know he lives. I feel, I feel today that what we are experiencing right now in the earth is, is not just something that transpired overnight, but it's from a generation of people who knew to do good and did it not. It's a generation of people who knew truth but refused to call it truth again I hate to beat a dead horse but I want to tell you that for the sake of tolerance we have allowed ourselves to come up next to ideas that at one time we would have never wrapped our minds around or embraced and in my opinion and if you know me today I, I, I hope you understand I'm not saying this to be harsh but I think one of the issues with our society is that we've become so open minded that our brains are falling out You can't accept every idea that comes along the way and still call yourself a child of God. Hear me when I tell you today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of why we're here right now. It is the very essence of why we are sitting in this house today. I'm glad to tell you he is alive. If you give some, 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 some truly sincere thought, where we stand currently starts making a lot more sense. Ministers, preachers, teachers, people preparing themselves for the work of the ministry in the American so-called church for decades have been told that because the resurrection is impossible biologically, then there's no way that it could happen. You know, the resurrection is a demanding thing. The resurrection is very demanding. And you either believe it or you don't. And so I'm going to say this today, and I hope that you love me when I'm finished. But for all of those who do not believe in the resurrection, there's a little part of me that hopes you're right. Because if you're right... And I'm wrong. The only thing I did was take God at his word. But if, if we're right, old Bible thumping American. But if, if we're right, 
This nation's going to have to bow on their knee. And this is, this is what I want you to know. We've got an opportunity right now to bow in repentance and say, Lord, I should have took you at your word and believed that you came and you died and you were buried and you rose again. But here's what you need to know. Everything that does not bow right now is going to bow someday because that resurrected Savior said that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe in a God, then you got to believe in a devil. And I want to tell you what the devil believes. James said the devil believes that there is one God. And he trembles. I'm telling you that even the devils of hell know better today. You know something? The devil knows that he's resurrected. And that's why the devil doesn't want you to believe that he is. You, you, you either believe it or you don't believe it. But in the culture that we live in, there is a lost art of believing the unbelievable. It's true. People don't believe in miracles like they used to. People don't, they, they don't believe in miracles the way that they used to. Pastor St. Clair, why are you so big? Why are you so big on believing in miracles, signs, and wonders? I want to tell you, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, there was a man standing right here where I'm at on these steps. He'd been laying the carpet on this platform. I just met him. He had to leave that day. It was was on a Wednesday. He was trying to leave because he had to go to the doctor. He was taking his knee pads off, standing right here, getting getting ready. And I was standing right here. His name's Eddie. And... uh, He said, Pastor St. Clair, I'm sorry, we're not going to be done by church tonight. He said, I've got to leave, I have a doctor's appointment. And he said, I've got a growth, and he pulled his shirt, and I could see it under his his pants. There was a big growth under his, uh, the waistband of his pants. And he told me what kind of cancer it was, and he said, I have to go get a CAT scan today because they're going to, they're going to see if it's gone all the way through, wrapped around in my kidneys yet, and kind of what we're going to have to do with this thing. He was standing right there. And without even thinking, because I believe in the resurrection. He was standing right here on this bottom step. And while he was taking his knee pads off, I said, let's just pray in Jesus' name. And I put my hands on. I didn't pray no big prayer. I just believe in the resurrection. And I said, in the name of Jesus, by the stripes you took on your back, we are healed. I had to get up that next morning and fly out to preach in Wisconsin. And when I landed in Wisconsin, Kate, my secretary, sent me a text and said, Eddie just called the church and the results of his test came back 100% cancer free. You want to know why? Because I believe in the resurrection. This is not something to hype people up. This is not emotionalism. There's people in this room that know if God wouldn't have touched you and God wouldn't have healed you, you wouldn't be here today. A 
Well, I, ju- I, just, I just don't know. I just don't know, preacher. I, I think sometimes that's just good living and, and, and good things happen. You mean to tell me that between this bottom step and that doctor's office that there was enough good, clean living that it just went away? You mean to tell me in a two-hour time period that, 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 that common medicine just all of a sudden started working? And in two hours' time, cancer disappeared from a man's body? Can I tell you what it was? It was a touch from the hand of a resurrected Savior. There's a precious lady in this church. And I can't ever tell this story enough. I love it. Precious lady in this church had not been here for very long. Moved to town. And the Lord allowed our paths to cross and she came. A short while after she came here, I'll give you the short version. But she had a terrible stroke. And, it, and, and when I went to the hospital to see her, my heart was broken. She couldn't swallow at all. She was crippled up and it, it, it was a bad deal. And we prayed in her uh, hospital room and nothing really happened. We just... We didn't really know what to do, and, and I don't want to embarrass her today, so I'm not going to call her out, but I prayed and I believed in that hospital room that God was going to do a miracle, and to be quite honest with you, when she got out of the hospital, she was being trained in, in, in therapy to start swallowing again, and, and, and I thought, Lord, I don't know if you're ever going to do it, and the first time she came back to church, she walked in on her, on, on her walker, a young woman, too young for a walker, and she walked in on that that walker was very crippled up but on that Sunday night service I believe it's a Sunday night on that Sunday night service she came up towards the front of this church man I feel his spirit right now she came up towards the front of this church dragging her body on that walker and when she got right here I'm, I'm not talking about another time and place I'm talking about right here in this altar standing right here the hand of the resurrected Savior came down and rested on her and I'll never forget when she threw that walker upon this platform and started walking under her own power around this I still believe in the resurrection I still believe it people say well there's just there's just no way because in order for, for that to happen, God would have had to break the law of physics. And, 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 and you know, as we know them, the laws of physics say that, that that's completely impossible. But what they, what they don't recall is that he is the author of those laws. <laughs> are, are, you, are you hearing what I'm telling you today? For some, it's too difficult of a task to think that God could ever do something that they cannot explain. Are you with me? Gerd Ludman is one such scholar. In a debate with William Lane Craig, he said, and I quote, Anybody who says that he, Jesus, rose from the dead is faced immediately with another problem. Namely, if you say that Jesus rose from the dead biologically... You would have to presuppose that a decaying corpse, which is already cold and without blood in its brain, could be made alive again. I think this is nonsense. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you today that the biology of the resurrection may make it difficult for some to accept 
and some to believe. It's common to hear men rail against the miraculous power of Jesus' name. They say that it defies the laws of physics and that it does not agree with what we know in biology and chemistry. But I want to tell you today, I still believe in the resurrection. I want to point out to you, as sad as it sounds, this is not just a them against us thing. But there are more and more Christians, so-called, that are stepping away from the most basic and fundamental doctrines that we hold near and dear to our hearts. There's a man named George Barna who is well known for his church research. And he took a deep look uh, into, uh, in, into the church world over the last few years. And he said that large proportions, I quote, of the lay leaders in Christian churches hold a range of biblical religious views regarding the holiness of Christ, the reality of Satan, the existence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the resurrection, and the means to salvation. Now stay with me right here for just one second. If Mr. Barna's observation is true, and I believe it is, then a substantial portion of those who have gathered in churches all across America and around the world on this Easter Sunday do so with no real belief in what they are celebrating. The songs, the dramas, the cantatas, the sermons, it's all fake, it's all fraud, it's all a sham. But my mind went back to the story that I heard of the old country preacher who went to a doctor for healing and the doctor just so happened to be an atheist. And when he walked in, the doctor asked him, he said, uh, are you a man of faith? Because you're going to need it. He said, yes, sir, I am a man of faith. He said, well, you believe in God? He said, I do believe in God. He said, sir, have you ever touch God he said no sir he said have you ever seen God he said no sir he said have you ever smelled God he said no sir he said sir if you've never tasted touched smelled seen how can you say God is real he said doctor you've been to college for many years he said you're a doctor of medicine I trust that's why I'm here he said yes I am he said doctor let me ask you a question he said, have you ever smelled pain? He said, well, no, that's stupid. He said, doctor, hang on a second. He said, have you ever seen pain? He said, no, no, I, no, I've never seen pain. He said, doctor, if you've never seen it, tasted it, touched it, how can you know that pain is real? He said, sir, that's stupid. You know pain is real because you feel it. You know how... You know how I know he's resurrected? Because I feel him in my hands. I feel him in my feet. I feel him in my heart. I feel him all over me today. I know he's resurrected because I feel him. Hallelujah. For some it may just be emotionalism. 
But for those in this house that have been healed of incurable diseases, you were told you would never walk again. You were told that you would never amount to anything. But when God got a when God got a hold of your life and picked you up out of the miry clay and turned you around, you know he's real. I declare to you on this Resurrection Sunday that if Jesus Christ is not risen, we have nothing to believe. Can I say that again? If Jesus Christ is not risen, we have nothing to believe. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying everything hangs on that. If Jesus is not risen, then Jesus is a liar. Oh, why would you say that? Because he said, I'll rise again. They were surprised to see him, but they weren't surprised that he rose again because he said he would. Everything hangs on it. If Jesus is not risen, I respectfully submit to this congregation today. Let's send everybody home. Let's lay off all the staff. I'll start selling cars. We can lock up the building, put it on the market, and hope some kind of business moves in here. But let's just stop everything we're doing and give away the keys if he's not risen. But the reason that I'm standing here right now in this pulpit in a room full of hundreds of people is is because he is alive. Church family, I'm telling you today, if he's not risen, I'll take my entire library, put it in the parking lot of this church and set it on fire till it's ashes. But the reason that I'm here today is because he is alive. Let me give you a Pentecostal preacher, one of their favorite things to say. You ready? Are y'all with me? I'm going to tell you one of a Pentecostal preacher's favorite things to say. Are y'all ready for this? I'm coming to a close. Now let me tell you why I told you that. Because it don't really matter. A Pentecostal preacher may say I'm coming to a close. But he may say it five or six times. So I'm coming to a close. I'm almost done. I'm wrapping up. Stay with me. I really am. I'm almost done. So the Bible tells us in John, the 20th chapter, about a story. It's a story of a man that I, I, I love I loved the, the story, the context of it. I love the way that the narrative unfolds. It's a story in John 20 and 24 about a man named Thomas who was also called Didymus. I don't guess I was thinking about my friend Thomas being here today when I preached on Thomas. I'm glad my friend Tom's here today. And so I was was studying about Thomas. And there's something you need to know about him. If you've ever heard anybody teach or preach on Thomas or talk about Thomas, or maybe they have somebody in their life that's a little weak and anemic in their faith, 
and they're having a hard time to believe, maybe they call him Thomas. You know? It's the old doubting Thomas. Anybody ever heard that? Oh, Tommy the doubter, you know? Tommy the doubter. For 2,000 years, Thomas has been known as the doubter. Perhaps because this is the most we see of Thomas in biblical record. Therefore, we assume that one single act defined him. But folks, there was so much more to Thomas than what you see with just your eye. Thomas appears three other times in the Gospel of John. Except for the listing of the disciples, Thomas does not appear in the other three Gospels. So this leads us to believe that he was probably a background player. He was probably somebody that didn't require a lot of light show, if you would. He, he didn't have to be in the stage lights. But I'd like to tell you the same thing about you that's a fact about Thomas. Just because you're not in the lights doesn't mean you're insignificant. It's the truth. Now, usually referred to as Doubting Thomas, I believe it's the most misrepresented name that we could ever give this man. And I'll tell you why. I think a better way that we could describe him would not be doubting, but courageous. Why would you say that, Pastor? That's, that's foolishness. Well, when Lazarus died, I mean, you ever heard the story about Lazarus? Jesus' friend. And Jesus comes to the grave, and I know you're not going to believe this. But it's another resuscitated corpse. Jesus comes to the grave. Man, I feel like preaching this. He comes to the grave after four days when everybody said it was over. Everybody said there's no more time left. One person even said, behold, he stinketh. That sounds so much cooler in the King James language. Because you know that they were Hebrews that spoke Greek, but you just get this King James picture. When they walk, sir, he stinketh. Don't roll away the stone, say, he stinketh. When they said he stinks, what they really meant is, you're too late. Got Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus. One of them said you should have been here. The other one said someday you will be here. One of them said you could have fixed it if you would have came. And the other one said you're going to fix it in eternity. And Jesus said, stop. Some of you are worried about what I did not do and the others worried about what I'm going to do. He said, but let me tell you what I will do. He said, you're saying someday there'll be a resurrection, but I'm here to tell you, I am the resurrection. But Lazarus died in the tiny town of Bethany. It's in John 11 if you need it for reference. Jesus told his disciples, he's, he's going there, and, and, and that, that didn't sit well with his disciples. I'm just being honest with you. In John 11 and 8, his disciples looked at him and said, uh, excuse me, Rabbi, uh, just now the Jews tried to stone you. Uh, I don't know if you've forgotten about this or not, but they just tried to kill you. Um, and you're going to go there again. 
Y'all reading that for yourself, right? Uh, they, just, they just tried to kill you. And, uh, and you're going there again. There's so many things you could preach right here. But I want you to understand, this is a powerful principle you can't miss. Jesus wasn't intimidated by the threats. He was more moved by the fact that somebody needed resurrected. The, the threats didn't intimidate him. When he knew there was somebody that needed his touch. Can I say this today and not hurt anybody's feelings? There's some wonderful people in this room today. But there's a lot of people that have learned to be professional Pentecostals. They, they don't really believe what they say they believe. Because you can see the fruit of that in their life. But I'm going I'm to say this. And they, people know I love them. So I'm not saying this to be mean. But God will step over a professional Christian. To get to somebody that sincerely needs a touch from God. He'll step over people that know how to dress the part and act the part. To get to somebody that needs a resurrection in their life. Man. That kind of went over like a lead balloon. But it's true. He'll walk past people that know more scripture than you do to get to you because you're hungry. Why are you saying that, Pastor? I'm saying that because you're in the right place. I don't care what people have told you. I don't care what they've labeled you with. I don't care if they have told you it's too late. I, it, it really doesn't matter what they... I'm, I've come to tell you today, it's not over till God says it's over. Now, I need everybody to put your seatbelts on. Are you ready for this? Watch. I'm coming to a close. I want everybody to put your seatbelts on because I'm fixing to walk you somewhere. Everybody likes to be called a Christian. But let's look at Christendom. The first Christians, there were 12 of them. They weren't called Christians yet, but they were disciples of Jesus. They followed Jesus. What does it look like to be a Christian? I want to tell you that when his disciples looked at him and said, Sir, are you really sure that's what you want to do? They said, they called him rabbi. He was their teacher, their pastor. And they looked at him and said, Pastor, are you sure that you want to go back there? I, I want to tell you they had a right to be concerned. Because a physical attack on Jesus could have easily became a physical attack on them. They lived in a Roman Empire. They knew that stoning was a terrible way to die. They had seen schools crushed and arms fractured and legs broken in half and femurs snapped when the large stones would be dropped. They knew what that was all about. They said, Lord, they just tried to stone you. They just tried to do it. And are you sure this is what you want to do? But now they have a decision to make. Do we walk with him or do we wait for him to come back and see if he makes it? Most Christians like to follow from that distance. They like to stay far enough away that it's not going to cost them anything. Woo. Boy, that just tightened up like a banjo right there, didn't it? They like to follow from a distance where, yeah, I believe in him. If you believe in him, then you'll believe when he says, we got to go. If you believe in him, you'll follow him wherever he leads you. 
If you believe in him, you're not going to be content to stand back and say, well, I go to church every now and then. No, if you believe in him, you're going to yoke yourself up with him and say, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow you. I know, I know, I know how people think. Some say, yeah, see, that, that, that's a legalism stuff I don't like. It's not legalism. It's relationship. Everybody looks at walking with God and want to know, is that a heaven or hell issue? So, so then you're saying, if I'm not faithful, that's a, am I going to go to hell? You're asking the wrong questions. I teach it here all the time, church. You know it. But this is about relationship. Not everything in my, my relationship with my wife is a divorce issue. You understand what I'm saying? If she comes to me and says, hey, babe, could you help me, could you help me carry this laundry out? I don't look at her and say, is that, is that a divorce issue? It's true. Hey, babe, could you, could, you, could you fire up the grill tonight, throw a couple steaks on? Ah, I don't know. You're going to divorce me if I don't? That's exactly how this looks. Jesus says, come follow me. We're like, hey, is that a divorce issue? Are you, really, are you saying if I don't follow you, then I'm going to hell? He never said that. But he did say, if you'll follow me, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm coming to a close. I want you to see this in John 11 and 16. As they're deciding which direction they're going to go, what they're going to do, Thomas, the courageous, called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, I don't think people are ready for this kind of relationship. Let us also go that we may die with him. Is that a divorce issue? It is. Because it's a call, the number one prerequisite for Christianity. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Thomas said, wherever he's going, I'm going with him. Whatever he's doing, I'm going to do with him. Thomas said, let's go. Let's fight for him. Let's protect him. I'm telling you, it takes an unusual kind of courage to square your shoulders up and go right back to the place where you were threatened and follow Jesus there and say, wherever you go, I'm going. And whatever you ask, I'll do it. Stay with me. I'm almost done. It turned out, as it turned out, the place where they went, nobody got stoned. But Thomas didn't know that from the start. He didn't know it till they got there. What, 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 what is this you're teaching, Pastor St. Clair? It's faith. People say, well, I have faith. No, faith walks in without knowing. Faith walks in and says, I don't know what's going to happen when we get there, but I'm going because I'm with him. Yeah. 
I don't know what may befall me when I get there, but I do know he's not going without me. Now, we're going to walk in some familiar territory right here for just a minute. But sandwiched between two of the most famous verses in the Bible is a little question that reveals a lot about Thomas. We hear John 14, 1 through 4 at funerals all the time. If you've been to a funeral in the last 149 years, you've heard it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Anybody ever heard it? How many of you could quote it pretty close? If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, the way, you don't know. Now verse 6 is often used for evangelism. And in the defense of Christ as a means of salvation. Because in verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. But sandwiched between 1 through 4 and verse 6 that everybody's familiar with, we always skip over verse number 5. Are you with me? In verse number 5, Thomas said, Lord, we know not where you're going and how can we know the way. These were words of a confused man. A man who was willing to acknowledge his ignorance and display his desire to know. These are the words of a hungry man who said, Lord, I'm not sure where you're going and I'm not sure how to find the way, but I do want you to know I'm interested. He said, Lord, I don't know where you're going, but how can we find the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And you're not going to come to God except by me. That's the only way. So you can say what you want to about Thomas, but I believe he wanted more. I believe he was hungry for more. Jesus walked into a locked room and, oh, we had time to go here. Jesus walks after his resurrection into a locked room full of his disciples. It's so interesting. People try to figure, well, how can it, how, how can it be God man? I don't understand. Listen, let me just tell you. Go read this story for yourself. He was God enough to walk through the wall and man enough to sit down and eat fish. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Was he resurrected? I don't know. They watched him walk through a wall. What do you think? Somebody say infallible proofs. He walked in and he went out of his way to prove that he was not a ghost, but he was flesh and bone. Because when he walked in, he said, hey, boys, you got something to eat. And he sat down and he started eating some fish with him. Wherever he was and whatever he was doing, he wanted people to know it's not going to go unnoticed. I'm alive and I'm well. But this is what we know about this first occasion. He walks in with the disciples, and Thomas is not there. I don't know where he was, but he missed a powerful moment in life. He missed the whole thing. We have no idea where he was. We don't know if he was crying, praying, grieving at the, at, at the temple. We, we don't know where he was, but this is what we do know. It's part of human nature that when God does something great for you, 
you're going to start telling others. Somebody say others. Well, in this case, Thomas was the other. Because when Jesus appeared, his disciples came when they saw him. And they said, Tommy, you're not going to believe this. You are not, you, there's no way you're going to, what are you talking about, stupid, wiping tears from it? There's no way you're going to believe. What is it? Jesus walked through the wall. What? Jesus did. What? Yeah, we just had lunch with the Messiah. He's alive. What? And Thomas, Thomas, they said in verse 25 of, of John 20, the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Somebody say, we've seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, I don't know about this. He said, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I thrust my hands into his side, I will not believe. Well, see right there, he's doubting. No, I don't think you understand. He said, I know he died. I want to know that he lives. I'm, I'm not doubting. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. And this time, Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. And he stood in the midst and he said, peace be on you. Why did he say that? Because you'd still be shocked. Twice is still a little abrupt. The guy just resurrected eight days ago for the love of the Almighty. And he keeps walking through the wall into this room. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, I love this. Oh, folks, Jesus was not there when Thomas said, except I see the prince. You understand that? The disciples came to Thomas and said, we saw him. And he said, except but So Jesus walks in. This leads us, it alludes to the idea, this is the first time that Thomas has seen him and the first time that he has seen Thomas since the resurrection. And he walks in and said, hey, peace, guys, it's me, chill. And then he turns to Thomas and he said, stretch your finger out here. Behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. Watch this. Thomas told the disciples, I have a desire to know him as resurrected. And when he had a desire to know him as resurrected, Jesus walked in the room and said, hey, boy, I heard your petition. You said you wanted to feel my hands and my side, so feel it. He said, don't doubt, but believe. Can I tell you this morning that he's still attracted to people that want to see him resurrected? And I love this bishop. He put his hands out. Let me see them hands. He put his hands out. Thomas reaches up. He said, Oh. He reached up to his side, put his hand in it. The Bible said his response was he got down on his knee and he said, My Lord and my God. There is no other God besides Jesus. When Thomas saw the prince in his hands and the prince in his feet and the wounded side where the blood and water flowed, Thomas said, it's my Lord and my God. How do I know he's resurrected? Because I felt him. 
I felt his hands. I felt his feet. It was from those hands that blood flowed. It was from that side that blood and water flowed. It's because of him that we're here today. Stand with me. I'm finished. I share this story once, maybe twice in a decade. But I felt led to share it this morning. There's so much in this world, people trying to disprove the resurrection power of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you today, I believe. There's people in this church that may have never even heard this story, but I'm going to share it. I'm going to tell you why I believe. When I was just a child, my grandfather was pastoring this church. My dad was, was assisting here, working in the church. And uh, he was kind of fresh in the ministry. And uh, I was born with a, with a condition in my chest that my sternum, it's almost like my sternum was missing, but it, it was there, but it was caved in. Had a big valley in my chest. My mom was a registered nurse, and so we had gone to the doctor, and the doctor pretty much put a plan together that they were gonna uh, they were gonna cut my sternum in half, and they were gonna put a, a plate in that would expand. Then over time, I would have several surgeries in my life. That as I grew, they would have to go into another plate. When I became a man, they would stop. And that was just kind of the destiny of it. They were waiting until I got to a certain age, and we had a man in this church who believed by faith. And he would come by our house all the time, and he would pray. We lived out. Uh, it, it's so cool. I wish I had the time to tell you how cool the story is, but I've wanted to go back in that house for forever. And uh, just randomly the other day, I found out that a friend of mine that doesn't even live here, he's from the, way the other side of Indianapolis, is the contractor that's now rebuilding that house. So I got access to see it. But we lived in that house, and we prayed all the time. My mom and dad would pray. They'd lay hands on my chest, and they would pray. And Brother Snow, they just... They didn't want me to have surgeries for the rest of my life. And I was laying in bed one night, and it, it, I wish I would have had time to go video it. I'd show you the room layout, but I think my Aunt Teresa slipped out. But they lived in the house after we did. I was laying in my bed, and I could see the door. My bed was in the corner. I could see the door of my bedroom. In the middle of the night, I rolled over, and I looked, and there was a man standing in the doorway of my bedroom. It was the most kind and calming spirit that you could imagine. There was no fear. And this man walked up to my bed. He sat down on my bed. He kind of laid down, disappeared, and I felt him. No pain at all, but he took his hand. He just pushed my chest out. He disappeared. My body took his hand. This may be crazy for you. He pushed my chest out. He got up, walked to the door, turned to the left, disappeared. I rolled back over, faced the wall, and went to sleep. The next morning, I got up, and I walked into the living room. My mom was laying on the sofa to my left there, and I said, Mom, Jesus walked in my room last night. She said, what are you talking about, son? I pulled my little T-shirt up. My, my chest was perfectly made whole. There was no question whatsoever that I was healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I've, I've, I've been an athlete all my life. I've, I've, I've been a, a basketball player, a golfer, baseball uh, poor excuse for all of those, but I've done all that. I know you can't tell by looking today, but I, I've even been a pretty good weightlifter at times. And, and you, you know, I've never, I've never laid under a bar with 265, 75 pounds on it and thought, man, I hope my chest don't mess up. 
because I knew who healed me. So I've, I've come on this Sunday morning to tell you, you may not believe, but I have no choice but to believe. Because he touched me. Woo. There's people in this room that may never see him with your physical eye till we cross over. Oh, Chili Jordan, but this is what I know. You may have never seen him, but you felt his touch. He's touching you in here right now. There's tears that are flowing in this room because he's touching you. There's lives that are being healed right now because he's touching you. There are people with sicknesses in your body and you feel the touch of God right now. I'm telling you, I still believe in the resurrection. He lives. He lives. I was preaching in the Middle East. And the area that I was in at that time was fairly safe as far as the neighborhood area that we were in but there were people fleeing to that place from Syria and other parts of, of the Middle East that were not safe at all and in the meeting that I was preaching we had some Muslim believers that came now listen you don't have to believe this but I'm, I'm not talking about evangelical Christians okay and, and, and I'm not talking about some kind of Americanized Muslim I'm talking about these people came from Syria they <laughs> I was a little nervous when some of them walked in, when they, when they walked in, because like, I was like, my God, are they here to kill me, or what, what are they here for? And I, I'm not saying that facetiously, I'm serious. It was a war-torn area. And they walked in, and this is what they told the pastor of that church. They said, we were in Syria, and Jesus appeared to us in a dream, and told us that if we would come here, that we could find him. Listen, he said, who told you about us? He said, this is where Jesus told us to come. Gave him the address of the church in another country. They got, they, they, they got on transportation and drove all the way to that country and went to that address. And when they walked in, it was a church that was preaching a resurrected Jesus. And one of those precious men came in that night. We couldn't share his picture. We couldn't post videos of him because they would have killed him. But he came in that night and he said, I would love to be baptized in Jesus' name. And we took that precious Muslim man and walked him over to a baptismal tank and we baptized him in the lovely name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. come to tell you this morning he lives he's alive forevermore I don't worship him hanging on a cross that part's over he got back up and I'm thankful on this resurrection Sunday that this church is full of people who know and believe that he is alive I said he is alive how many of you would help me give him praise and thanks this morning? Come on, give him thanks this morning. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. It's always in order here to step out and pray. There's no pressure coming from me right now. I'm telling you, that's not the way I work. But if you want to know him today in the power of his resurrection,
I would invite you, either right there where you're standing. I want every every eye closed right now, so you don't have to worry about anybody watching you. But if you if you want to know more about the power of His resurrection, I would just invite you to slip your hand up into the air right now and say, Lord, I want to know you like I've never known you. I hear these crazy Pentecostals talking about all the goodness and all the great things you've done, God. I want to know you. There's hands all over this building today. Is there anything that God would ask of you today that you wouldn't be willing to give Him? And if so, would you ask the Lord to reveal that in your heart right now and say, God, whatever you have to do in me, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. I want to love you. I'm not just here for the miracles. I'm not just here for the loaves and the fish. I'm here because I want to walk with you. Come on, let's pray together, church. Let's pray. God, thank you for every man and woman and child that have gathered in this sacred house today. It's such a blessing to feel your presence, to feel your touch. God, we know you can and you will. I'm asking you, Lord, that you would seek out the hungry in this place today. The ones, Lord, that are looking for something greater than they've ever experienced. I believe it can be found in a, re- in a relationship with you. I pray from this platform to the parking lot that your spirit would continue to draw men even after we leave here. In the name of Jesus, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. They're going to sing this song today. If you want to come pray, you're more than welcome to do that. To all of our guests, we love you. We thank God for you. Thank you for being here with us today. As they sing, pray as long as you want to and be dismissed at your good pleasure. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.